Well, good morning. I just want to uh, round off this series that I've been doing called Your World Has Changed. And the final thing that I want to look at is choices are coming. The next series then that we'll do hopefully will be based around the book of Nehemiah. I'm really quite excited for all that the Lord will want to speak to us through that. This is a real time um, to repair and prepare. And Nehemiah models rebuilding in such a healthy way with so many lessons that I believe that we can learn. But today what I want to look at is choices are coming because they are and uh, is part of the world we live in and part of the rapidly changing world that we live in. I think there's four things that I'd love to just briefly look at today and two of them are negatives, almost more warnings, and then two of them are more positives, things that I believe we can push on with and push into. So um, hopefully it's helpful, at least it just appeases me. All of them are going to begin with C. Uh, So the, the, the first two will be compromise and criticism. Hopefully it's fairly obvious they're the negative two. And then the second two is uh, commitment and kingdom. Do you see what I did there with kingdom? If we were in person, there would be right moans and groans for that. But I'm uh, taking that that you could spell kingdom with a C potentially. But if you wouldn't let me have that, let me just change that word to conviction. Because it's having and knowing the joy of conviction <clears throat> in a in a culture of compromise and that is so so important excuse me i've got a right cough going on so let's let's just start with that's not covid by the way anyway let's just start with compromise though last week um i popped out to get some barbecue gas and it was one of the earliest times in the year i've done that um i'm not normally short of a bottle in april but obviously we've been having more barbecues than normal so there's a guy locally and at the minute he's got most of his shop outside on the street and I could see that he sells the one that I want even though I've never been to that shop before. So I took mine for exchange and he said to me as, as I approached him, he said cash only mate. And I thought yeah, actually that's odd because most people at the moment only want you to pay by card but he wants cash. So I said to him well sorry I don't actually have any cash with me, I've only got my card. And he said, well, our card machine is broken, but there's a cash machine 50 metres or so down the road. And he points me in the direction. And I said, oh, sorry, I've only got credit cards on me. I only uh, hardly ever carry cash, actually, and I don't have the card with me to get cash. And um, given that the card machine was broken because he's just told me that, I picked up my bottle and I you know, was, said cheers, mate, and was starting to walk away and thinking where else I might go. And he turns to me and he says, well, go into the store and tell Steve it's a card card payment for a five litre bottle. Fascinating. And I I mean, I didn't bother saying to the guy quite sarcastically, I thought the machine didn't work. But I guess what he was trying to do was save on the, the card transaction fee. But he got me thinking about compromise. And I just want to briefly for us to look at compromise because there's two sides to it. Some of us in some areas will need to. And then in other areas, we've got to be really careful that we don't. Charles Spurgeon, when he was faced with the cholera epidemic, he said that the post-epidemic world, 
led to a rise and a rapid increase in secularization around him. I think I'd agree that that's been something that's been on the increase for many years, but we're also going to see it in greater measure. And we have to know our convictions. We have to know what they are and the things that we're not going to compromise on. We have to know the things that we're going to hold tightly to, but also the things that we don't need hold to hold tightly to. Do you see what I mean? So much of what I see at the minute in culture around me are, are firmly held but weakly formed views. Those areas would be ones that we would do well to compromise in. So often we can form views and opinions that we're willing to go to the stake over. That if we actually step back, we might realise they're not the ones that we need to cling to as dearly as we do. And it's often other ones that would be way less, we, we often would give way less attention to that we should be readily and more easily willing to compromise on. You know, on a <clears throat> normal day in life, we can trip over each other and trip over other people in, in the pain or the anxiety or the frustration of the pandemic when we might have, um, we might be more... <coughs> depleted in our relationships, we could be exhausted, we could be therefore lacking in grace and reserves uh, within us are lacking for other people. We've got to be so careful in those times and in those moments that we don't create unnecessary views and opinions that are divisive. Little thoughts and judgments, little views and opinions you know, have you have you have you seen that? Because I see that so much in this minute. is It's kind of rife at the moment. When left, it can escalate in our minds and it turns to gossip in our conversations. But then also, we find people or face people who have opposing views and opinions on things that really do matter. We have to be careful that then we don't let culture just erode our faithfulness. To the truth of scripture so it's holding the two elements of this in balance paul teaches us in ephesians 1 10 he says and this is the plan at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of christ everything in heaven and on earth so often today we can allow differences to divide rather than appreciating and celebrating our distinctives and our diversity our ability to learn where and how to compromise, for me, flows from a learning to love what Jesus loves. That should be our starting point. Where can I major on the things that we agree on, not allow the things that we might disagree on to be distractions and to be divisive, and then to move forward together? The concept of unity is pivotal to the gospel of Jesus, and the church's reach, therefore, into the world around us. I would also caution us in the days ahead, not wanting to speak too much doom and gloom, but the pressure on us to compromise our views and beliefs that we do seek to, to hold firmly to will come under increased challenge from the society around us, I'd say. I can see it coming and I can see it happening. Ephesians 6.10 says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. This is a time to be strong in the Lord, to be built up and to strengthen our foundations. We've got to stand firm 
and know the truth that we hold so dearly to. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are faithful to the end, trusting God, just as firmly as when we first believed. We will share in all that belongs to Christ. We've got to hold firm. We've got to stand firm in this moment and in this time, in so many of our decisions that we are making and will be made around us. That's, that's the first thing I wanted to look at. The second one is this, I just wanted to have a quick look at criticism because it's often the route to compromise if we have unresolved criticism. We feel others are criticising us and so we feel the need to alter to accommodate what they're saying or what they're asking. I don't, have you found that? Have you seen that? Sometimes it can be quite subtle, but we weaken our stance based on what the popular view is. And we start to question or doubt the Bible's foundation, or we even neglect discovering or searching for the Bible's truth in the first place. And it quite, takes quite a bit of nerve <clears throat> to steer the ship through stormy waters, but whatever the pain or personal cost, we, we need to stand firm. We need to do so maintaining the utmost grace and generosity to those around us. Society, in, in my opinion, is rapidly increasing in fearful people, with people going to head on, like almost head to head with each other along racial, economic and political lines among many, many others. And both sides then start to use provocative language to paint with very broad brushstrokes the failings of the other. And words and attitudes that divide people by stressing differences rather than creating common ground to understand legitimate differences and create fertile soil for the gospel. Because criticism creates barriers and misunderstandings and it amplifies mistrust. And society so often seemingly glorifies rudeness and it trades in sarcasm. The very things that can be quite dangerous and explosive to the people that we want to be and that we believe we're called to be. So it breaks my heart when I see it in culture, but we have to be so careful that it doesn't leak into us because it becomes a bickering and an arguing for our cause or our position. And it starts to focus on the failures of others, therefore creating this environment where it's like, I need my needs to, needs to be met. And if they're not, I'm, I'm gonna criticize. And we have to be so careful not to let that grow or develop among us. You know, when I first came to Jesus, as I've shared in previous weeks, it, it came with the understanding, as I hope it does for all of us, that I'm laying down my rights. It's not me and my way, it's his and his way. You know, I, I saw this little nugget of truth jump out at me recently, um, the real revelation in, in the Bible. Sometimes a phrase just grabs me and you know, sometimes you mull it over and this one really got me. It says this in Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth the one who accuses them before our God day and night. That's an incredibly powerful verse. Revelation calls Satan the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our brothers and sisters. In other words, Satan does a little jig every time the church gets up in arms 
with each other, shouting one another down, belittling each other with words, speaking ill of each other, acting in rash or unloving ways towards each other. No one wins when that kind of exchange happens. One of our greatest weapons is love and unity. So of course the enemy is going to go after that and try and debilitate that and we've got to be on our guard against it. We are to be people that avoid criticising and learn appropriate responses when we are criticised. You don't have to turn up for every fight that you're invited to. I think that's so important. A truth that we should remember. Every time you're invited to the fight doesn't mean you have to show up for it. You know, Paul counselled Timothy when choosing leaders. He said this in 1 Timothy 3.3. He said he must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. You know, we might avoid coming to blows with people, but are we quarrelsome? Such a good question to ask of ourselves. 2 Timothy 2.14 goes a bit further. He says this, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. You know, in the days ahead, I believe we'll have an increased opportunity to consider our choices because as it becomes more prevalent and more inflamed around us, our difference should stand out all the greater. Are we being criticised or are we criticising? How we live well under the former and cut out the latter is so important. Just quickly as this could lead us down a bit of a rabbit hole, and I believe I've shared something similar before, but I think it's important to think how we respond to criticism. How do we live out a Jesus type model when we're criticised. I think he did three things. He expected it, he examined it and he endured it. There'll be times in life where it just comes at us. That need not cause us to wobble or be knocked off course. It need not cause us to compromise. He then, what did he do? If he if he expected it, well he examined it. it I, I think we, we should do well to take a step back and I'd encourage us just to say, hang on a minute, is there something in this? Can I seek to be softer, more gracious, more full of the fruits of the Spirit? Is there something in this that the Father might want to speak or whisper to me in a way that I could change for the better? Is this a journey that I'd go, I, I'd do well to go on with a few close people alongside me? Not having everybody speaking into it, but just a few gentle voices who were going to love and encourage me as I examine it. And then what did he do? Well, I believe he endured it. Sometimes it needs to be filed away a long way from your heart and you need to be careful that it doesn't take root or cause bitterness and resentment. Criticism can be really damaging. Words can really take a hold and take a grip. The spoken word is such a powerful negative tool that the enemy uses and we have to be so careful that that doesn't build up a, a resentment and a bitterness within us. Don't take the bait of that. Don't let it take hard. Put a guard over your heart. We want to learn to live well through it as we endure it. The third C, commitment. This is going to help us, I believe, with the first two challenges that I've just mentioned around compromise and criticism. We need to consider our commitment. We live in times where our word or the word of others often isn't the word. You know, the yes isn't yes and a no isn't a no. You, yeah, I'll, I'll be there, so often many say, and 
It's like, well, yeah, until you get a better offer. Or you can count on me. Often doesn't actually hold true. It doesn't hold water. Sometimes that can let us down. Have you ever ever faced that or found that particularly recently? It used to be like accepting an invite on Facebook. Saying yes almost meant no and saying maybe probably meant yes. You know, it's, it's the most bizarre thing. But I think we have to see and accept what we see around us is happening and is a reality but then choose how we want to live and the way that we believe is the healthy way to respond to the Holy Spirit, to choose to commit to each other, to choose to commit to Jesus's church. You know, so often I've heard people say, oh, I love God, yeah, but, but you know, less so his church. I, well, that's kind of like saying, well, I'm, I'm married, but I don't love my wife. The church is the bride of Christ and the love and the commitment that we have the potential to show, particularly in times like this where um, commitment is waning or being shaken in society around us, we have phenomenal potential to show that and live that out. So how do we do it? How do we do it when it's tested and waning in society? Well, Paul said in Romans 15 verse 7, he said this, Therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. How do we accept each other? How do we show a commitment to each other? Well, kind of like Jesus did. And he accepted us warts and all. Jesus didn't wait until I was acceptable or even eligible to him or to others to offer to die for me. No, he adopted me before I even knew that I needed him. In fact, he accepted us whilst we were still spiritual enemies. It says that in Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us whilst we were still sinners. That's the standard of love and acceptance and commitment. That's what we want to hang our coat on. So I'm supposed to show them love even though they're out of line. Even when they don't seem to be trying in the slightest to make an effort or to get along with me. Even when they're doing stuff that I would naturally or normally want to criticise them for. Even when they're doing things that make me think they're compromising. My commitment and my love should be unwavering because that's what Jesus modelled and showed to us and really it comes down to truth and mercy. Jesus accepted me when I wasn't ready to be accepted, when my life wasn't in line, when I wasn't in the place that I should have been. Jesus teaches us therefore to walk in greater maturity and love. I think it's a bit of a tightrope if I'm honest. Accepting people doesn't mean overlooking sin but it does mean avoiding criticism of people and finding the joy of conviction in a culture of compromise. My conviction is not my condemnation. I've stressed that many times before. Can I, can I just talk then, the, the, the fourth point this is about conviction. I called it kingdom. I don't want to merge the two, but if you won't let me spell kingdom with a C, let's call it conviction. But I really want to talk about the kingdom. Because this has and will continue to be tested. Of course it will. Because there will always be resistance to the reign and rule of God until he comes again. But there will also be seed where the scarecrow is. 
you know, in this moment, the pull of society and the pressure of circumstances can quite easily cause us to go down the off ramp. You know, what, what do I mean by that? Well, prepare yourself for a bit of a cheesy illustration. But you can be driving along quite merrily in the car of your life. Uh, you know, doing the right things, obeying the speed limit and stopping at the lights and mirror signal manoeuvre, all of that kind of thing. But it's not hard to take a wrong turn at times, is it? I think we'll all find that. And some of those can quite easily be corrected and um, realigned, sorted out. But it's the off-ramp that is so dangerous to us. Once you're on the slip road to the motorway, you've come off the roundabout and you go you make a wrong choice and you go down the slip road to the motorway, you cannot reverse and every inch further down takes you further away from where you should be. Does that make sense as an illustration? Because these are testing times. Hebrews 3, 14. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. This is a marathon, not a sprint, and we need to be faithful. If there's a moment of conviction for you right now where you found that you've strayed or you've started going down that off-ramp, I just want to say now, come back. You know, 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Come back and realise, realign and go again. Don't let it go further. Don't go further down that off-ramp. But what, we, what do we do when all is shaken around us? When the world around us has changed and it causes conflict and it causes compromise and it causes criticism and we have choices to live rightly. Well, it says this, Psalm 62 verse 5, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for he, sorry, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and my honour come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. When all has been shaken and sifted, we press in for more of the kingdom than ever before. I long to see the breaking in and the breakthrough of the kingdom of God for an extension of the reign and rule of God among us. You know, when the pandemic first hit, let me just give you an illustration of some of this, or at least we realised it was going to shake us and hit us fairly hard. Back in those early days in March of last year, I think we had a few choices. Do we have faith or do we have fear? Do we, you know, seek protection or do we step in to the potential? Do we try and contain something or do we seek to see it extended? You know, are we people that live by maintaining what we had and knew, or do we step into and seek to be missional in all that the Lord wants to do among us? Do you see what I mean? So let me give you a practical example of that. We're not externally funded as a church. Everything we are and everything we become actually comes out of the generosity of those among us who faithfully steward their resources and love and serve others. Let me let me just pause there and say, well, thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness and your heart obedience to, to financially stewarding your resources to the church in the way that allows it to be all that we believe God has called it to be. 
but we've always given away 15% of everything that comes in financially to the church. We've given away to benefit of the things that don't directly benefit the church. We want to love and serve the city and um, further afield and do so sparingly because you reap what you sow and we want to sow sparingly. So well, what's my point? What illustration am I trying to give? Well, it's kind of this. So the pandemic hits and of course it's going to have huge financial implications, but we don't live by the earth's economy. We live by God's. We have to do his bidding. So one of the first things we thought about um, when, when it did was we increased the 15% that we give to 20%. You know, that actually makes no earthly sense, but it's a kingdom principle. And I believe we're, we're living in a remarkable kingdom moment. And we have to seize that and step into that. And if anything, more so. The opportunity for the kingdom to extend, the reign and rule of God at the moment are remarkable. The daily choices we get to make, the daily decisions and interactions, the way we choose to live and to act and to respond, the way we treat each other, our neighbours and our colleagues, the interactions we have with those who criticise us or those who compromise around us, all of it presents us with an opportunity to make healthy choices that can see the reign and the rule of God extend among us. You know, what the Bible does is it illuminates something that we then get to do. So we see modelled deliverance and healing and ministry to the poor and all of these things that we then get to go and do. And we live in the tension of the now where we see some of these things now, but also the not yet. And we don't get to see all of it in the way that we long for it until ultimately Jesus comes back. But we don't wait for all of that. We keep seeking and longing and pressing in for the breaking in and of his kingdom, of his reign and rule. Now and we get to borrow from what will be in the future now. We borrow from tomorrow. Does that make sense? That's what we're constantly longing for. So we, we step in and we press in with faith and with prayer, we step out and we seek to do all that he asks us to do. That's the stuff of the kingdom. That's what kingdom living is. It's the stuff of really what we see in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, where he says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see his will, his reign and rule here on earth as it is in heaven. And we long for it. We're partakers in it. It extends as we do it, as we live it out. So we seek to make the right choices that cause it to unfold in greater measure and we don't succumb to the pressure of the moment. We don't align with compromise and criticism. We stand with unwavering commitment to see the kingdom extend among us. Does that make sense? I hope that's helpful because it's the people we want to be. We long for the commitment to Jesus and his commitment to his kingdom and to see it birthed and, and extended and multiplied among us. I hope that's helpful. Why don't we just spend some time praying and allowing his kingdom to break in?